Well, wasn't it great to see uh, three fine young men helping serve uh, communion? And thank you for Fred for that word. Uh, I was glad to see Jeffrey down the middle there. It looks like he's am- ambidextrous. You know, it's a good thing, too, because you're having to do this and this. Or as that one uh, NBA star said in a post-game interview, yeah, I can drive equally well to the right or the left. I'm amphibious. So he's, uh, <laughs> he's amphibious. That's a true story, by the way. Um, but uh, great to be back from, uh, from the conference there in Duluth and uh, really looking forward to diving into our next uh, section of the book of Psalms. You know, I had a great uh, visit there in, uh, in Duluth and uh, spoke twice. It was a little nerve-wracking because after my first message, <clears throat> there were several keynote speakers and someone came up to me after the first uh, message and said, man, uh, that was great. You were way better than the guy before you. He spoke for an hour and a half and said absolutely nothing. And you managed to do that in an hour. So I didn't know, I didn't know quite how to take that, but I was, took it as a compliment, I guess. I don't know. Well, when I was about uh, 34 years old, um, I was uh, working in academics at the time, full-time, both teaching and in administration. And we were interviewing a new faculty member who had just graduated with his Ph.D. and was candidating to become one of our faculty members at this uh, college. And I was really struck during the interview. It was a group interview. There were several administrators and some faculty committee members, and, and then this candidate was on the hot seat. And he, by, by the way, we hired him, and he became a dear friend. But uh, he, uh, I was really struck during the interview that he talked about uh, one of his mentors and how he had approached a, a, an older gentleman in the faith years earlier and that this man had mentored him. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, other than my dad... I've really never had a, an intentional mentor. And uh, so that interview, that little moment, sort of prompted me to think about who can I get as a mentor. So I approached an older gentleman who was an adjunct faculty member at the school where I was teaching uh, full time. And I remember uh, asking my wife about this or talking to her about it, saying, hey, I think I'm going to get so-and-so to be my mentor. And she said, that would be a terrible idea. And I said, why? I just, I don't have a good feeling. I just don't think he's a good guy. Well, I sadly ignored my loving, gracious wife's counsel and sought this guy to be my mentor. And it was one of the worst decisions I have ever made in my life, honestly. It led to a series of unfortunate circumstances and happenings that uh, really were not fun. One of the worst times in our life, though, you know, we've had some ups and downs in life on our journey, and, uh, but it was, a, it was a tough one. What was even make matters worse is <clears throat> I sought a kind of double counsel because after Wendy had said, ah, not good, not a good idea, I went to one of the, uh, well, my boss, the provost at the school I was at at the time who I had a good relationship with, and I kind of laid out the situation, and he doubled down and said, no, nah, don't listen to your wife. You just follow the Holy Spirit. Well, again, worst advice I've ever met. I've kind of learned through 30 years of marriage that um, the, the, the Lord shows us His will through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes her name is Wendy. So that's kind of what, what I have learned, um, that uh, you've got to really be strong and confident in where the Lord's leading you before you go against the counsel of your, of your spouse. But I want you to think about what's the worst advice that you've ever gotten. 
think back maybe in your younger days, maybe even as a teenager, maybe in your adult life. You're facing a crossroads, facing a major decision. Uh, you're unsure about uh, how to proceed, and so you seek counsel. You seek advice. And maybe you took the advice of someone, a friend, a relative, perhaps even a spouse, but it didn't end well. What's the worst advice you have ever gotten? You know, there are no shortage of advice givers in the world today. Uh, even the Sunday comics have gotten into the advice business. You recall the BC comic strip. You know, uh, Johnny Hart died back in 2007. He was the, the real brains and genesis behind BC comic strip. But it's still going on. And I remember seeing this particular uh, BC comic strip not too long ago. Here's some good advice. Never buy a one-of-a-kind item at a two-for-one sale. Makes sense, right? I mean, if you find yourself in that situation, you ought to at least raise an eyebrow. Speaking of BC, I thought this one the, uh, the Ayers family would appreciate. Here's a gal stepping up to a diner, and uh, she says, uh, Hey, I, your sign says your eggs are the freshest in the region. Prove it. So the fellow walks back, comes back with a hen and a bowl, and says, holler when they drop. So is that, that, that would be pretty fresh eggs, I, I suppose. But I'm calling this when bad advice happens to good people. We live in an age when people are flocking to advice givers more than ever before. I mean, anybody willing to hang out a shingle and peddle pearls of wisdom can make a mint if uh, he or she markets it effectively. Nobody really stops to consider the source or the worldview of the advice. And consequently, we, we have everything from palm readers to soothsayers to Christian pop psychologists. And there's just been an explosion in the advice-giving uh, you know, arena of our day. So how can we distinguish good advice from bad advice? And what happens when good people embrace bad advice? In a world where we're bombarded with how-tos and how-not-tos and self-helps and get-rich-quick type schemes, how do we sort it all out? How do we distinguish good advice from bad advice? How do we know whether to take it or leave it? Well, this question was, this very question actually, was pondered by an anonymous hymn writer several centuries before Christ. And I want us to return back to Psalm 119. It's our second visit to this lengthy chapter with 176 verses, longest chapter in the Bible. And uh, to kind of remind us of, of the context of this psalm, we're dealing with an anonymous hymn writer several centuries before Christ. It was a different time, obviously, than today, 1000 B.C., roughly. Different culture. It was the ancient Near East. It was a different language. People were uh, speaking Hebrew. But the fundamental issue was the same. Do I listen to the pontifications of my fellow man, or do I rest my case solely upon the absolute truth of the Creator? The Bible records the words of this hymn writer in Psalm 119, verses 17 to 24. If you recall, when we talked about this previously, uh, this is an acrostic psalm, which just means that there are 22 uh, stanzas, we might call them, if you think back to an old hymnal, 
uh, that we had before the days of technology, and there might be three or four or five verses or stanzas. Well, this uh, particular psalm, Psalm 119, had 22 stanzas corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza was eight verses, and each of the eight verses in, that, in each stanza would begin with that same letter of the alphabet. So the first stanza, each of those eight verses starts with an aleph, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The second stanza, each one starts with a bait, and, and so on, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Psalm 119 is unique because it, in 176 verses, it refers to the Bible, the Word of God, 173 times. All but three verses use some term or uh, synonym for the word uh, Bible. And uh, so let's, I want to just read it, and then we're going to kind of point out some key lessons. I don't, I'm not going to put the verses on the screen just yet, but I want you to just listen to these eight verses in the third stanza, if you will, of this, uh, of this psalm. Starting in verse 17, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Notice the, the emotion there. You ever been in a place where you're just really longing for clear, unambiguous, steadfast judgments, direction? That's the heart of this psalmist in this stanza. He goes on, You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. And listen to the last verse. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And my counselors. That's really the key verse in this stanza. And the word counselor is a very interesting word uh, here. It's the word ish, which is the word for man, like in Genesis 1 when God created man. So, really, your testimonies also are my delight and my fellow man. They're, they're the, the, in other words, the Bible takes the place of man when it comes to counseling. That I don't seek counsel from man, I'm seeking it uh, from you. So the first lesson that I want us to see from this stanza is this. Bad advice abounds in the world. And I've got six lessons here, so we'll just kind of walk through them uh, one at a time. Bad advice abounds in the world. It all began back in the garden with the serpent, and it really hasn't slowed down since. The world is filled with bad advice. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Everywhere you turn, someone is there to give counsel, and typically it runs contrary to the absolute truth of God's Word. We need to remember that. If you're just going to roll the dice, so to speak, and pick up counsel from a variety of sources, some book you found on sale at the supermarket while you were waiting in line to pay, or some talk show that you watched on TV when you couldn't sleep one night, or some radio personality you happened to listen to while you were waiting in traffic, if you're not discerning 
and discriminating and taking the time to run through the grid of Scripture what you're hearing from that person, chances are it's going to be bad advice. And what's worse is bad advice is often uh, couched in clever words that sound right. Uh, They wouldn't have so many adherents if it didn't sound good. But notice what he says in verse 19 of this stanza, I am a stranger in the earth. He felt like there was nowhere to go, no one to count on. Specifically, he had enemies that were all around him, running him down. But in the Word of God, he found peace. Do you ever feel alone? You feel like you need someone to lean on, but you just don't know where to turn. Our natural instinct in the flesh is to go to people that we know love us, the people that are friends or relatives, family members, uh, the people that are kind and you know, cry on their shoulder, so to speak. But remember, even well-intentioned people can give bad advice because bad advice is everywhere. It abounds uh, in the world. Paul put it this way, Beware lest anyone cheat you, and this is in the present age he's talking about now, through philosophy, that's the only use of the word philosophy in the entire Bible. It's uh, uh, philo, love, uh, sophia, wisdom, literally love of wisdom, speaking of the world's wisdom there. So philosophy is to love the world's wisdom or love of the world's wisdom. And Paul cautions, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, the world's wisdom, and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, but not according to Christ. Unfortunately, with the onset of the information superhighway, there's no shortage of bad, misleading, unreliable, and outright inaccurate information available at the click of a button. In fact, if you want to test this out, uh, when you get home today, uh, I want you to go to Google. Actually, don't go to Google unless you want to, the NSA to be watching you. Go to DuckDuckGo, and I want you to type in the following. What should I do if I have an earache? And then look at the results. You'll get thousands upon thousands of suggestions. How do you know what's right? Part of the problem in this age of deception and misinformation and controlled media and fake news and all these other things, we've got to be able to discern truth from falsehood for ourselves. And the same thing is true with advice columns and humanistic psychology and a lot of the books that mainstream uh, controlled publishers are peddling today. Bad advice abounds in the world. Proverbs says, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So we need to understand there is bad advice out there. It's prevalent, and we need to watch out for it. But the second lesson I want you to see is that bad advice also emanates from the heart of man. It abides in the heart of man. You know, someone has said, quote, A wise man seeks much counsel, and a fool listens to all of it. We've got to show discernment. Look at verse 23 in this uh, stanza. Princes also sit and speak against me. The Hebrew preposition here translated against in the New King James, which is what I'm using, can be translated among or at or with. The writer is surrounded by so-called intelligent and influential people like princes who are throwing ideas at him. 
But he says, your servant meditates on your statutes. See, princes also sit and speak among me or with me. But he says, I wisely prefer to listen to God's Word because bad advice comes from bad hearts. Uh, Proverbs puts it this way, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand, the Lord's counsel. And we have today the Lord's counsel embodied in the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. This is God's self-revelation to us that gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And that's why we're talking on Wednesday nights about how to study correctly and how to correctly handle the Word of God. Proverbs 12 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, because bad advice abides in the heart of man. But he who heeds counsel is wise. And in the context, in Proverbs, this is contrasting humanistic counsel with God's counsel. Wise counsel with foolish counsel. Uh, Proverbs 21, Every way of a man is right in in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. The Lord weighs the hearts. Proverbs 16, very similar. All the ways of of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, people have often said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think it would be better to say the road to hell is paved with good advice, right? Good humanistic advice. People that say, well, you can do this. You can pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can try harder. You can be better. You can do more. Instead of recognizing that the only way to get to heaven is by the grace of God. Undeserved, unmerited favor. I was talking with someone just this week by email about grace. And I took the opportunity to explain to them that grace is unmerited favor. We can never be good enough or try hard enough or do enough to merit God's favor. We are sold under sin, utterly and helplessly and hopelessly lost. We needed someone to pay our sin debt on our behalf, and that someone is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again for our sins. And it's only when we place our faith solely in Him, and Him alone as the only one who can save us, that we are made right with God, receive the righteousness of God, and not through uh, all of these self-help type of measures. Proverbs 3.5 is a verse we looked at Wednesday night this week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because bad advice emanates in the heart of fallen man. And it's only to the extent that we are uh, yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit and His Word and that we hide the Word of God in our hearts that we're able to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh and somehow avoid falling prey to our own understanding. Number three, bad advice abandons the only real solution. Bad advice abandons the only real solution. In other words, God's Word is the standard of truth. And, you know, bad advice undermines the very foundation for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. Two uh, sessions ago, in the opening session of uh, How to Read and Understand the Bible, which we're studying on Wednesday nights, I talked about why do you believe what you believe, and I looked at five different categories of influences on our belief system, our worldview, that can easily lead us astray if they're not conforming to the one and only ultimate standard, which is God's Word. So in other words, bad advice is a self-perpetuating problem. The very remedy we need is obscured by the bad advice itself. 
And I've seen secularists, skeptics, um, even atheists, who mock the Word of God as if, you know, we're just a bunch of Bible thumpers and if you really want good advice, come here and I'll tell you, not some archaic old book. And so what I mean by lesson number three here is that what people end up doing, uh, even many Christians, when they go to counselors for help, and I'm talking about formal counselors that are not rooted in the Word of God, is this counselor says you should do X, Y, and Z, then they go home and they're struggling to do X, Y, and Z, and they talk to their friends or somebody about it, and they say, well, I don't, that doesn't sound right to me. You should go see my counselor. So then they bounce like a pinball over here to this counselor who then says something different. may or may not be contradictory. It may just be subtly different. But the first thing you know, they're just bouncing around like a straw in the wind, and nobody is pointing them to the one and only real solution, which is God's Word. And so if we go back to our key verse from this uh, stanza, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The only consistently infallible, reliable source of good advice is God's Word. So who's your go-to counselor? That's the question. Um, it, it better not be someone who's an unbeliever, for sure. See, you know, it's the biblical principle of separation, which is not something we've, we've talked much about in the year and a half since I've been here, but someday we may come upon that subject. But the Bible is clear that we're not to have as our friends unbelievers. We can be friendly and should be friendly with everyone. It's, it's, it's how we have a good testimony and how ultimately we will be able to share the gospel with them. And we can have acquaintances and associates and we can interact, but our friendships biblically speaking, are to be reserved with those who are believers, part of the family of God, and have a biblical worldview. But So you certainly not want to go to unbelievers who don't even have a relationship with God <clears throat> to seek advice. But even still, if they're a believer, they need to be a believer who is rooted in the Word of God and going to give uh, counsel from the Word of God. Someone has said, when we ask for advice, we're often looking for an accomplice. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you have someone who will give you the advice you need to hear and not just what you want to hear? <clears throat> I read a story about a, a golf outing. <clears throat> You'll appreciate this, Paul. Where a couple of amateurs were playing and they were joined in their threesome by a seasoned veteran of the PGA Tour. Well, one of the amateurs throughout the 18 holes was just continually trying to show off he started spouting unsolicited advice to the pro. Uh, the other amateur wisely just kept quiet. Well, at the end of the round, when the arrogant show-off had left, <clears throat> the other amateur turned to the pro and said, Man, can you, Matt, can you, can you believe that guy? Why'd you, why'd you let him go on like that? Why did you let him give all of that advice? I mean, you're the pro, right? And the old pro said with a grin, Son, I learned a long time ago that it's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who only wants to buy echoes. It's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who only wants to buy echoes. There are people spending tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of insurance money, just listening to echoes. They're like in this massive humanistic worldly philosophy echo chamber. And they wonder why 
their lives continue down the same road. Because it's the Word of God that is our only standard for our beliefs, echoes, uh, beliefs, uh, uh, behaviors, and attitudes. And it will never echo the misleading thoughts of the fleshly nature. You're never going to have an incorrect thought or bad idea, go to the Word of God, and have the Word of God through the Spirit of God say, yeah, go for it. You're never going to have that happen. God's Word is always on the spot with the advice that we need. Proverbs says, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. It's in a class by itself. Bad advice abandons the only real solution. And that's why if we go back to that passage in Proverbs 3, it goes on to say, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. He will cut a straight path through all the confusion and misinformation and lies of the world and make sure you get where God wants you to go. So then, where do we turn when we need advice we can count on? That's the story on bad advice. But what about good advice? Well, to recognize and avoid bad advice, we've got to turn to the Word of God, seeking counsel from within its pages. We've got to saturate ourselves with God's truth and submit to its counsel. So the fourth lesson is good advice is consistent with God's Word. I've said it several times already that we've got to run everything we hear through the grid of Scripture and make sure that that truth is validated from God's Word. If not, it needs to be rejected. Again, your testimonies, which is just one of those many synonyms, there are ten different synonyms in Psalm 119 that refer to the Bible. Your testimonies are my delight. Whose testimonies? God's testimonies. He didn't say it was the testimonies of the princes or the other people gathering at the water cooler to talk and give him worldly advice. It was God's testimonies. And those are found in God's Word. Proverbs 11:14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. It's okay to seek counsel from others, but only if their counsel is consistent with the Word of God. See, we need each other. We need believers to get together. And, for example, at Plum Creek Chapel, when our leadership team gets together, we look for wisdom and consensus and ideas. And sometimes we work through decisions and we, we come out with, yeah, this is really, this is what God's Word says. This is what we should do. So there's nothing wrong with counsel, but it's got to be consistent with, good, with God's Word. Good advice is consistent with God's Word. Proverbs 15 says, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Again, only if it's based in God's Word. Every Word of God is pure, and He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. But not only is good advice consistent with God's Word, good advice is constantly available in God's Word. Good advice is constantly available in God's Word. If we look at verse 20 in our uh, stanza here that we're kind of zeroed in on, my soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. We've got Bibles around here. If you need a Bible, uh, let me know. Let one of our ushers know. We want to make sure you have a Bible. If you're watching the live stream or you're watching this video down the road and you don't have a Bible, email me. We will ship you a Bible. Because we've got to have access to the Word of God. You know, not Christian best-selling books. You know, there's some good books out there. You know, I've got 
several books myself, and I'm pretty sure I agree with everything I wrote. But if you have a choice between reading one of my books or reading the Bible, read the Bible. Because <laughs> I can guarantee you there are mistakes in, in my books. <laughs> I'm by no means uh, infallible. And if you want to verify that, just ask my children <laughs> or my wife, right? Uh, I mentioned one embarrassing mistake uh, in our Sunday school class a few weeks ago when we were talking about the the bold judgments and uh, in my book what is uh, what lies ahead which is an eschatology text a biblical overview of the end times and the chapter where i'm dealing with the sealed trumpet and bold judgments somehow there was a typo in one of my sentences and it talked about the bowel judgments <laughs> a little inadvertent e in that word which you know bowel judgments are something entirely different from bold judgments i i assure you I think it has something to do with Taco Bell. But uh, anyway, uh, so I, you, you want to read something that's infallible, read the Word of God, and we want you to have a Bible if you don't have one so that you can go to God's Word at all times because good advice is constantly available. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, the Bible says. But number five, good advice is also constructive, or number six rather, through God's Word. In other words, Good advice actually makes a positive difference. The world's advice may or may not make a positive difference, but it won't make a lasting positive difference. Again, you'll be like a pinball. But God's Word is always constructive. It helps us navigate through uncertain times and uncharted waters. Bad advice is destructive, not constructive. Good advice is constructive. Uh, verse 18, many people count this among one of their favorite verses in the entire Bible. In this stanza, he says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You know, if you want to see questionable things, seek advice outside of God's Word. But if you want to see wonderful things, then make sure the advice you receive is rooted in the principles of the Bible. A lot of people read this verse and they, they, they misunderstand it. And again, this goes back to the context, like we're talking about on Wednesday nights, how important it is to read the Bible in its surrounding context. But a lot of people will read this verse and they'll, they'll think that somehow when you read the Bible, you're supposed to pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you these mystical, sort of between-the-lines, special revelation that's really not there, like unique wondrous things. That's not at all what this verse is saying. The word translated wondrous here, it's often translated wonderful in some other English translations, is the word pela in Hebrew. It's used 73 times and it means different, conspicuous, extraordinary. It's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 18.14 when the Lord told Abraham that Sarah would bear a child in her old age. And they questioned it, and God said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word hard is pela, wonderful. In other words, God's Word gives answers that are extraordinary. God's Word gives answers where there are no answers. It was a wondrous thing that Sarah could conceive at that age, pela. And when we read the Bible... Uh, we want to see how distinguished, how conspicuous, how different the truth of God's Word is from any and all other worldly advice. And we pray, Lord, let me see these distinctive, extraordinary things that are in your law. 
In fact, I, I think you, if you have a pen and you have a Bible, you ought to write out beside that word wondrous or wonderful, and you're, depending on which English version you have, you ought to write the word extraordinary. And then the next time you're facing a difficult circumstance or crisis or time when you really need wisdom, go to this verse and be reminded that in the Word of God we find those extraordinary things. We find answers when the world doesn't have any answers. That makes sense. Good advice is constructive through God's Word. Listen to counsel and receive instruction, Proverbs 19.20 says, that you may be wise. Or elsewhere in Psalm 119, the previous stanza, the second stanza of this acrostic psalm, we read, Your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. See, the Word of God is constructive. It makes a difference. And that's why uh, this Wednesday in our series on how to study the Bible, I'm going to talk about five steps in the Bible study process, and I'm going to talk about how the final and ultimate step is a changed life. We don't study the Bible just to get smarter or figure it out or impress our friends or win Bible trivia contests. You know, I can remember as a young preacher, 25 years old, my first full-time church, we were expecting our first child. I had just graduated from seminary, and I knew everything, absolutely everything. Except when the widows group at our church, we had a, it was a fairly large church, multi-staff, and God blessed me to be the lead pastor there. Except when the widows group asked me to come to a widows fellowship where they were playing Bible trivia. I tried every excuse to get out of it because I just knew there was going to be some obscure question, maybe not even all that obscure, that I wasn't going to know the answer to. And how embarrassed was I going to be when some you know, 80-year-old widow could reel off the names of the judges or you know, all these you know, different obscure facts in the Old Testament. Uh, but see, what I was missing was that that didn't matter. It's not about figuring it all out, being a, an expert theologian. The goal of Bible study is to change our lives. And the goal of God's Word is to impact our lives, be constructive, and change our lives, make a difference. The goal of secular counseling, by the way, is to make a living. <laughs> And, but the goal of biblical counseling is to change lives. So there you go, six principles. Number one, bad advice abounds in the world. Number two, bad advice abides in the heart of man. Number three, bad advice abandons the only real solution. Number four, shifting to good advice. Good advice is consistent with God's Word and constantly available in God's Word. And it's constructive through God's Word. So what's the takeaway? Well, I want to end where we started. What's the worst advice that you've ever gotten? And now I want you to think about what's the best advice that you've ever received. And I bet it was sourced in the principles of God's Word. So always seek the counsel of God's Word first. And there are good human counselors who are Biblical counselors, not pop Christian psychology counselors, but ones who recognize the sufficiency of Scripture and that, that it can deal with any issue we're facing. But seek the counsel of God's Word first. And be careful when seeking advice from others. Because well-intentioned though they may be, sometimes they are leading us astray. And then we need to uh, read the Word of God regularly and develop discernment as we 
read the Word of God. You know, part of that verse in Psalm 119.11 of hiding the Word in your heart is so that when you face different trials and circumstances of life, that Word of God will be on deposit, available in your account of your heart, ready to be pulled out and applied as needed. If you don't know the Word of God, you can't apply the Word of God. So read the Word of God regularly. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this reminder about the source of true wisdom and the source of good advice. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that has been victimized by bad advice, that You would just encourage that person to move forward Start fresh and seek the deep wells from your word, the wisdom that it has. And Father, most of all, we pray if there's one here who has been trying to navigate life apart from you, that they would hear the word today and that they would express faith in your Son and our Savior, who is the only hope for eternal life. Because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So Father, today if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, may they place their faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for their sins. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.